check, 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 check. The check. Justin McIsaac podcast with Justin McIsaac. Oh, that's going to be our new intro. <laughs> Justin McIsaac podcast. Look at you. Welcome to the Justin McIsaac podcast with Justin McIsaac. I'm your host, Justin McIsaac. This episode is uh, on location for the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. Uh, old friend of mine, uh, Brian Phillips is his given name. Nobody calls him that. Uh, Brian Fury, his wrestling name. Uh, not a lot of people know this. I gave him his wrestling name. He's actually named after, uh, well, I guess I didn't give it to him. The, the video game Tekken 2 did. But I, I, I'm the one that suggested Brian Fury, so he can, his whole fucking career is just due, due to me giving him his name. And Sasha Banks can thank me for that, too. Anyway, uh, Brian and I have been friends since uh, our sophomore year of high school. Uh, we wrestled about a, a, a billion times together. Uh, came up through the wrestling ranks. I started for him. We talk about all this stuff. Uh, there's, uh, there's there's nobody else I don't think I know uh, that I've known for longer that uh, I don't know. I'm gonna sound sappy, but I love the guy. There's, there's not a lot of people you end up loving in this world. But Brian's one of the guys I love, so uh, I love Brian. He's, uh, he's done really well for himself in the uh, wrestling business. Uh, even if you don't like pro wrestling, it's kind of interesting to hear his uh, story of how he came up uh, in the business and kind of made a success of himself through a lot of hard work and uh, just. Uh, Determination. I mean, he's, uh, we're two, I still call us kids, even though we're in our 30s. We're two kids from Rochester who you wouldn't have expected to do anything in life, I guess. And, uh, we, he's had a very, uh, successful wrestling career. I had a moderately successful wrestling career and a moderately successful media career. But, uh, the point of this is, uh, we're, we're two guys that have gone way further than, uh, anybody or ourselves thought we would. And, uh, his story, I think, is one worth listening to. So here it is, uh, my good friend Brian Fury on the uh, Justin McIsaac podcast with Justin McIsaac. My guest this week on the Justin McIsaac podcast with Justin McIsaac is longtime friend and uh, frequent, back when I used to wrestle, uh, in-ring opponent. I don't think frequent's even the right word for it. He's uh, the owner and head trainer at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, my pal Brian Fury. Hi. What an original name for your podcast. I couldn't think of one, so it's, <laughs> it's the Justin McIsaac podcast with Justin McIsaac. All right. If somebody else, you know, fills in, it'll be with them, but okay. since since I'm the host, it's with me. I see that. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this podcast because I've known you since high school, which is probably way too long for somebody to know either one of us. Yeah, that's, uh, luckily we have long breaks in between speaking, it seems <laughs> yes. like. Well, those breaks are getting less frequent, which is concerning. But uh, so you you were, were here inside the New England Pro, uh, Pro Wrestling Academy. You have an office. I do. Which, of all the people I've ever known in my life, you're the last one I thought would ever have an office. It would, be, it would go you and then or me and then you in that order. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah, we both have have had offices. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's one of those weird things. Like uh, I. I really can't put into words how you or I have been able to do the things that we've been able to do in, <laughs> a, in, in our respective lines of work, just because we were kind of like screw ups and stuff. To, to kind of like screw to, ups. To a, well, to me, to a point. Well, it's like neither one of us are like dumb, but we're not like brilliant. Yeah, book smart, like you know, like nerds or anything like that, or people that would look out on the surface and say, "All right, these guys are gonna go somewhere or do yeah. something." But people that got to know us understood that you know. We actually do kind of have some brains in our ugly, weirdly shaped heads. I would my my head is perfectly shaped. It is ugly though. Uh, I would I would describe the the uh, what you and I are are as uh, lazy but driven. 
Yes. Because we only we only are motivated by the things we really care about. And everything else is kind of, eh. I think that's very fair. Yeah, like, if it's something that I'm not too interested in, I could really give two shits about, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. So, <laughs> But things that I care about and want to succeed at, yeah, I work my ass off at. So, yeah, it's that's a good assessment. So let me go back to uh, when Brian and I met. We were Did we meet? It must have been freshman year of high school. Spalding High. Maybe a little bit of freshman year, but more, I think it was more, more sophomore year where we kind of started to, like, actually hang out and yeah, stuff. At, 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 uh, at lunch. We would hang out because uh, Brian and I, and uh, there was a few other people kicking around Spalding High School. All the wrestling fans sort of kind of glommed onto each other at some point. Yes, that is how I made most of my friends growing up, was whether you liked wrestling or not. And I could have a good conversation with you about it if you actually knew something and liked some of the stuff that I liked. And In high school, neither one of us hadn't had a terrible mullet either. Neither one of us. No, no not, not for extended periods of time. And there are no, there's no photographic evidence of such. <laughs> This is also the uh, the mid '90s, so it was a time where uh, you know, basically, you wanted to you'd walk around the the the, the hallways of high school, and if you weren't uh, a quote unquote popular kid, you dye your hair colors, and people would go ooh, and you get piercings, and you'd wear ripped up jeans, and you know, try to try to make people look at you without making it look like it was trying to you're trying to make people look at you. Basically, right. that's the and you and I both fell into that category. Yeah, hundred percent. We were just kind of. Not necessarily outcast because we still hung out with like just about anybody in the school, but we had our closer friends that were looked at like along those lines. Right. Yeah. If you went to, basically, if you went to Spalding High when Brian and I were there, uh, you either loved us or hated us. I think it wasn't a whole lot of middle ground. I don't think that's changed much for me, <laughs> maybe for you, but yeah, it was, it was pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Luckily, I, I like to think more people. Uh, Loved us and hated us, but we were a little misunderstood because some people just judged us on how we looked rather than getting to know us any. And we, I don't think we were very patient with people. If we didn't like them right off the bat, we would hate them forever. There's people I still don't like that I can't remember why, but I, I just know I don't like them whenever I see them around. No, that's definitely changed for me some has over it? the years. Yeah, no, it actually has. So I mean, I- with <laughs> especially in this business, like... Uh, you hear stories about other people before getting to know them. I can't, I just can't bring myself to judge somebody or hate somebody right away, knowing that I can or may be putting my lives in their hands and vice versa and stuff. So I've grown to change in that aspect quite a bit over the years. Sure. All right. So let's let's go back a little bit because <laughs> you and I were uh, in the same backyard wrestling federation. But before that, at what point did you know you wanted to spend your life inside of a wrestling ring? It's the same old story that you hear so often when it comes to people that have wrestled and made names for themselves. Like, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to be a professional wrestler. Like, a lot of kids growing up change their mind every other week. A policeman, fireman, doctor, or or a lot less... uh, uh, Nobody wants to be a mailman. Right, yeah. Except for Scott Dickinson. He wanted to. <laughs> Scotty D loves <laughs> delivering mail. Um, but for me, it was literally always 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 wanted to be a professional wrestler and i remember watching from before wrestlemania 3 and i've never stopped i never took any time off like a lot of people leave and come back to it and stuff but for some reason i just never left it it's always captured my attention and i've always loved it so i so you were a kid watching wrestling you was like i want to do this did you ever like because when you're a kid you're stupid you don't know anything did you ever think I have a plan for becoming a wrestler, or did you just think I'm going to be a wrestler someday? Right? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I'm just going to be. I didn't know. <laughs> you know, just show up at the <laughs> Silver Dome and they throw you in the ring. I, I didn't like. 
I mean, you and I were both kind of like smarter fans. Like, not, we're not like a smart fan because it really wasn't that term necessarily back in the day. But I still don't know there were schools and really stuff like yeah. how to teach. But when I got older, like becoming a teen, I kind of realized like there were things. And then there were advertisements for like. I mean, everybody knows about the Kirill Kowalski school from the New England area because you've heard of it. But, like, I remember seeing ads for, like, Warrior University and sure, stuff yeah. because that was one of the first schools that was, like, actually advertised. And sometimes yep. there'd be ads in the back of, like, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So I knew I could go to school for something like that, but I just didn't really... It didn't really seem like a reality. Like, that was something somebody else did because it was somewhere else because we came from, like, a small area of New Hampshire. And where the hell are we ever going to go to train to be a wrestler? No, exactly. Yeah, it was not something that just seemed so far away and out of reach, but it's still something that I said I was going to do, whether I actually had a plan for it or not. You know, it was just one of those things. So then uh, through high school, backyard wrestling, the old Rochester Wrestling Federation, which I think you have tapes of somewhere in your school. There, are, there are some <laughs> videotapes downstairs. One of my students found one randomly and put it in, and it was hilarious to watch. Who was the? Uh, who do you think was the best backyard wrestler of the uh, the gang of, of of misfits you hung out with throughout high school? It's hard. I mean, it was. <laughs> it depends on what you liked, but I mean, probably overall, like Al was one of the Al, best. Al Spader, current middle school teacher. <laughs> yeah, she is middle school. head of the science department, I believe. If, I, if I'm, I could be mistaken, but which, I'm not sure. Which but is fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was probably like one of the best overall overall guys, and you know, he had weird gimmicks and stuff but he was able to like wrestle with just about anybody like he was he was really good and the looking back on that now it's fun to uh to to think about you know because when, when we backyard wrestled it was a little bit before the times where kids were smashing light bulbs over each other's heads yes it wasn't quite crazy like that what, what, what we would do is sometimes there would be saw horses to act as corners sometimes not right sometimes yes. there would be a, a rope or a string. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there weren't, and you would just pretend there were ropes to bounce off of, and we would do our best to kind of do moves, and we put together what you would now call, uh, you know, programs with a like or feuds. But it, it was fun. It's fun to look back and think of the the personality that came out of each guy that was doing a thing like that. Especially some of the people that are very shy people that we know that were definitely able to come out of their shell some like Stevens who wouldn't say a word all day and then all of a sudden he'd be like three different characters on yeah. pro wrestling uh, backyard show and be, cutting promos yeah but um yeah we'd all have like lunch together or or like a study hall or something and we'd all start like booking out the RWF <laughs> Ultra Stars program booking and, like, the territory yeah we'd start like putting together what we wanted and all of us had like one or two gimmicks of guys that were like actually being pushed we all had like a mid carter guy we all had like a jobber guy and like that's how we filled out this big roster like yeah. eight of us and we all have like four gimmicks so it was fantastic everybody had a tag team too yes <laughs> and everybody was a, a a ref everybody had their own referee name. and everybody had their own commentator name yes we, i mean it was, we, it was pretty <laughs> crazy because we just did all the and i remember thinking when i was a kid like because i wrestled and I had a different move set for every guy. Right. That when I be, if, when I become a pro wrestler, it'd be great because I can do all my guys' move sets <laughs> as me, and I'll be fantastic. And now here I am, like seventeen years later, I do three moves. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. You got a hell of a punch, though. <laughs> Who watch, knew? Watch out for the right hand. Who knew back then? You only needed three moves and to be able to sell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you you know, high school ends, and you actually. When you and I both kind of came up the same way. We were both kind of 
I don't know if dirt poor is the right way to say it, but we were we were not uh, people of means. Right. right. Yeah. No. We. I mean, I was. We were never struggling, but at the same time, we didn't like. Well, there were there were periods. I think for both you and me, like you, you tended to move around every couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. We. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really stay in any apartment for longer than like, like a year at the most. Like growing up. So I mean, we were kind of bouncing around, but it was like. Yeah, I was never like starving or anything along right. those lines. You know what I mean? Like you hear some stories, but yeah, it was, you know, do what we could. So even so, it's a, a drawing a parallel here because I don't know. How, did you ever even think about going to college? Or was that an option for you? Or? No, I, I never thought about it. it. Was never an option. I don't think many people in my family have gone to college. It was yeah. just left high school and kind of joined. Didn't even think about it. Just kind of. No. Nope. Now I go to work. Yeah, I just I joined <laughs> the workforce and like, I think a lot of my high school. I guess academic work reflects that. Like, I did enough to get by because I was I was a fairly smart kid, but I didn't want to try hard. Like, I I would learn as much as I needed to learn to yep. pass the test. Wouldn't do homework and stuff like that, and be like, okay, it's enough to get my high school diploma and get out of here, and then just start working and right. making money. Brief aside, before we get out of the high school years, I do want to mention. I don't know if uh, the people that know you uh, know these a uh, couple of things. Uh, first of all. Uh, you and uh, our friend Al Spader, and I believe uh, our friend Stacy Stevens, who goes by Stevens, it's Stevens. Um, <laughs> when you were in an English class, uh, t- tell the tell the people listening what you would do when you got your vocabulary list of words. All three of you, <laughs> yes, we all had. <laughs> yes, we'd have like, like the tests once a week for our vocabulary words for the week, and you'd have to pick like. Uh, ten of the words and like that, and put them in a sentence. Sure. And every single word, the three of us would make a wrestling sentence out of every <laughs> single word every time. And then we'd talk about after the class, like, "Oh, what'd you do for this word?" And sometimes our sentences would be pretty similar. Uh, and the teachers kind of knew we were all buddies and that we all watched wrestling, so I don't think they would question that we were cheating if they're all similar. Yeah. But they were just like. They were kind of blown away that every single week, the entire year, <laughs> without fail. I never, I, I didn't even remember that. It's so funny you bring that up. But yes, we we do wrestling about storylines or about wrestling characters that are on TV that yeah. we could just use those words to describe them with. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I totally forgot all about that. I forget that. The other thing that would uh, would go uh, we did in high school uh, was. Uh, the, the wrestling move of the day. I was trying to explain this to my kids uh, because they actually, my son Cameron brought this up after we went to uh, to dinner a couple of weeks ago after uh, Liberty State show. Somebody elbow dropped, I think it was AC, elbow dropped a uh, a fortune cookie and that jogged my memory about the wrestling move of the day yes. at lunch. Can you describe what that was, was it, like? Was it Stevens that would come up with it in the morning? I believe is either Stevens or me. Or we'd go back and forth. Yeah, somebody trade. would come, and it'd be, it would be the wrestling move of the day. And if you saw anybody in the hallways that was part of our little group, we would do it to the other person <laughs> or whatever. Like in the middle of crowded hallways. Yeah, oh yeah, we're all everyone's walking from class to class, and you, sometimes you'd know when you see somebody, you could wait around the corner. Like super, super kick day was a great one, and but chop day was the best one because we're just destroying each other all day long with chops at class and wooing. Um, but every day at lunch. Al would do the move of the day to, to a bag of Skittles. To my bag of Skittles. Your bag of Skittles in... Because I would get a bag of Skittles every day at lunch. Yes, at lunch. And, so, and we waited till the end of the year for him to do moonsault, right? Is that, <laughs> that was 
was like the last day of the year. And like Al was like a big guy back then. Well, he's still a big guy now, but like he was like 230 pounds in high school. He's yeah. like five nine. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty 230. Was, no, no, was, no. He didn't wear it well. And so, but he was he was agile, and he puts like one of those little like high school chairs up against the wall, and he yeah. set the thing down, and then he just did the moonsault off the chair onto the bag. And of he had Skittles. about 40 people waiting for this to happen. Yes, because at this point in time, everybody would know. <laughs> We would do something with the move of the day or something with if we got a certain color M&M with Leahy, we'd have to hold it up and walk yeah. around the, you know, we were ridiculous, showmen always, but yeah. yeah, the wrestling, I remember him like doing the bonsai drop once to the, uh, <laughs> to the bag of Skittles, just ridiculous stuff, it was, it was awesome. So, yeah, sometimes the move of the day was just a chop, sometimes it was a moonsault, so sometimes it was a pile driver, so we would pile drive each other in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> At high school, yes, yes, <laughs> we are. We were smart. We, we were, yeah. We were, we were awesome. That's what we were. Uh, so I wanted to make. Wouldn't sure. you want to hang out with us, uh, hearing these stories? <laughs> Wouldn't you want to just be our friend in high this school? This was nonstop too. There was no end to this. Yeah, no, this I, was before wrestling was cool too. Like they didn't have like, the Attitude Era wasn't a thing yet. So like, no, it was like Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Yeah, this was like T.L. Was, Hopper years, but we still <laughs> loved wrestling. Yeah, it wasn't Steve Austin. Everybody wearing an Austin three sixteen shirt. We, it, it, it was rough out on those We streets. were fairly persecuted uh, for liking <laughs> wrestling as much as we did at the time when it was not popular. So Exactly. We felt uh, very cool when wrestling came back around again and like yeah. people like Rock and Austin were like on top of the world. Yeah. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we told you. Now you want to do the move of the day. So you go to work, uh, working a couple different jobs. Oh, yeah. A couple different things. Worked S- at a... Somehow, even although you were a better, I'd say, athlete and uh, had a better mind for wrestling, somehow I went to wrestling school before you did, which... We were supposed to go together, right? To a tryout or something like that? Yes. Okay. So I went to a tryout, uh, and, and uh, our third man in the room, Johnny Vegas, was actually at this. It was before a, uh, a lobster man. I forget what he was calling the promotion back then. It might have been World Independent Wrestling is what he was calling it. Before one of those shows, it was uh, myself. Uh, I was there. Tarzan Taylor. Uh, Big Daddy Dave Walker. Uh, there were some other guys, too. Uh, Tim Walker? the uh, Iron Man. Yep. Iron Man, Tim Walker, and a few other guys. And I think you were supposed to go, and for some reason you just didn't. I can't uh, yeah, why. I, I ended up helping uh, coach the high school pro wrestling team at the amateur wrestling team. Yes, yeah, be awesome. Pro <laughs> yeah, high school pro wrestling team. We, we would <laughs> kick ass at that. Uh, yes, the high school um, Spalding High School amateur team, um, which you were a part of in high yeah, school. Yeah, I was a part of that in high school. I ended up staying and help coach them at the. Um, at one of the state tournaments that year that we were hosting. So it's kind of like I felt obligated to help out the coach and stuff. So because I was still doing work with them and stuff. So I ended up not going and kind of putting it off. Right. So I ended up going uh, and then uh, training that summer. This is 1998. Training that summer. I, I had my first match in August of 1998. So then I, I, I kind of wrestle and I suck at it for a year or so. Maybe not suck, but it wasn't good. Come on, Starman. Starman was over, kid. No, that was until I came back, I don't think, from... Uh, I moved off to upstate New York for a year. That didn't work out. So in the uh, the summer of 1999, I came back to New Hampshire and started working with uh, uh, the Lobster Man's promotion again. And then fi- fi- I think finally, the day I came back, I think you met up with me and was like, all right, I'm ready to go to wrestling school. Yeah, so like, was, a year after I went, you were finally had had enough, I think. I was ready to do it, finally. <laughs> I was like, I'm not putting it off any longer. I, I talked about it my whole life. I'm sorry, like, this was 2000, actually, when I got back. So It was, it was somewhere around there. It was the well, summer. 
Well, listen, let's be honest, all right? You're, you're, you're telling people your work, your, your first match was in 1999. That's a bunch of horse shit. It was late 2000. I know because you didn't start training until I came back from New York. I was so, 20 I mean, years old when I started pro wrestling. You're full of shit. I'm telling you're, you right you're now. Expo- you're exposing the business, or I'm exposing the business. Whatever. You didn't start till 2000. I don't care what your fucking plaque from Johnny Vegas says. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was late 2000. Anyway, so we start training... Well, you start training in Nashua with the Lobster Man. Yes. And what was that when you finally first stepped into an actual wrestling ring to start doing wrestling shit? What what did that feel like to you? Is this something you wanted your entire life? Well, I can actually uh, rewind a little bit. Um, Go ahead. We, me, Al, Junk, and like one or two, <laughs> one or two other people um, went to a Lobster Man show. That's true. Yes, years prior, it was the same night of the Mike Tyson versus Peter McNeely fight. Because I stayed home to watch the fight. Yes, and we went to a show to meet Lobster Man and stuff. And like Sonny Goodspeed was there, and a couple other people there. And the, the Eliminators were on the show. Yep. Uh, something like Bob Evans and some, somebody else. And this is a manager named Mama there, or whatever. And we got there to this indie show at like. Three in the afternoon yeah, or something it like that. Yeah, start like seven. Yeah, and nowadays you get to an indie show at three in the afternoon. There's nobody even at the building, never mind a ring set up and stuff. But they were all set up, ready to go. And we got to meet him, talk with him, and we all got to take body slams in the ring. Uh, Sonny Goodspeed body slammed all of us. And boy, that was... I, it hurt way more than I ever thought it was going to <laughs> in my entire life. So technically that was kind okay. of my first time in the ring. But yeah, then finally get going to, you know, Jeff's school, like... I remember you and I would get there some, like early as can be, and we'd yep. be some of the last people there that have to like turn the lights <laughs> out on us. Like while, while we're finally like tying our shoes to leave and stuff, like I just never wanted to leave the ring at any point in time. Like we always, always, always were there. And, and uh, Jeff had practice two, three nights a week, so we would make the drive from Rochester to Nashua. Oh yeah, we had many a ritual on the drive. Oh yeah, we. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we could go over that and have people look at us. <laughs> As as sane people, just ridiculous stuff. I still do them whenever I take that drive back to Rochester and stuff to visit family. I do them with my girlfriend, and she hates it. Does she know the we fix water thing? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> they fix water, and then you know, just oil. Yeah, and, and more. more doesn't make sense. Uh, if you want for twenty dollars, you can make a drive with us. Brian and I will drive you from Rochester to Nashville, and you can see exactly what we're talking about and get the full experience. Which is really the only way to know what we're so talking. So ridiculous. About. We're so stupid. Uh, so. So you're kind of learning the basics of pro wrestling. What was that experience like? Um, again, it's one of those things that was very different from what I had envisioned, I guess. But I, I don't really know if I had an envisionment of what it would be like. I at least had you to kind of give me a heads up on like how to act and, and things yeah. along those lines. So I wouldn't get myself heat. I ended up getting myself heat anyways in no. many wrestling locker room over no. the years. But... Um, <laughs> A lot more like mat based, like learning how to do holds and stuff like that, um, and certain certain bumps and stuff like that. Uh, the I guess I had an advantage having watched wrestling my whole entire life, so sure. I had a lot of um, like what I call wrestling instincts, where certain things. I can remember like the first few practices. You know, they were you were, you were being shown the basic lockup, arm hold, blah blah blah, and you know you could do all that easily, and then at some point. Maverick Wild says, let's fucking bump the kid. <laughs> yes. He fucking knows what he's doing. Let's fucking bump him, which normally you got to go like a few weeks before they let you start trying shit like that. Yeah. I, again, I think 
being your buddy and stuff helped along those lines too. Cause First time knowing me has helped anybody <laughs> yes, ever. Normally, it's a major detriment. Yeah, it's, you don't want to talk about it. Um, but I, you know, I think being able to pick up what they were showing me uh, fairly quickly and having a good attitude and you know having you kind of backing me up was able to move me along a little faster than a lot of people, at least at that school, were able to. Right. Because I was considered a small guy, especially in Jeff's eyes, compared to a lot of the guys that he was using. This is before at the time. you could be like a regular sized person and be considered like a like a wrestling prospect. Right. Like on the on the indies, you know, guys our size were like, okay, you, yeah, go work the shows, but never, nobody ever thought you'd be worth a shit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It was one of those things where, like, especially there, I was like a smaller guy. Like, I was I was in shape, but I was like 170 pounds, like soaking wet. Like, right. so it was. And then, you know, all those guys there are, like, easily 200-plus and, like, yeah. you know, get creamed and learning stuff. But, yeah. Was, there, was some, there was some good veteran presence, though. I mean, you had guys like Maverick and uh, Sonny Goodspeed. Uh, I'm not sure if Bob was persona non grata at that point. You know, he was gone. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, he, he was. He was gone. Uh, uh, Rip Morrison uh, was, was still uh, – he was still kind of a uh, – he was still working, I think, so as yep. a wrestler. No, so. Ripper was still there, and it was like – it's weird because I hear stories from you and Tarzan and stuff about being trained by Jeff. Jeff really wasn't there all too often at the school when I was going. It was kind of like Rip would tell some of the boys what to show me or whatever, and like, yeah. and then the boys would just kind of train me. So I was trained by a plethora of people rather than being able to say like one or two guys really right. were the guys that trained me. Um, and I, I loved it because like everybody that had gone through all the training or like the mini boot camp with Jeff in the backyard and stuff like you guys had oh, to yeah. do and stuff <laughs> like I was able to learn through you guys and maybe teach me in more layman's terms or I wouldn't have to go through the same type of, uh, I guess, rigorous type of things that you may have, may have had to. So I guess I had a little bit of an advantage as far as that went. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little a little less old school, I think, than when I, I trained with, with Jeff and uh, a little less... Uh the hell's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I don't even know. Little, little less. Uh, Johnny V, help me out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Structured. Little structured, less structured was the word he was looking for, ladies and gentlemen. I used to be smart, I swear. Uh, so uh, concussed, so, concussed too con- many times. Everybody in the business has concussed me, a bunch of shits. So, so you go through. Uh, you've, you've told the story a hundred times about uh, working for cost and then moving on. But what I want to focus on, and not just because I was involved, but so when you find out, we go to Littleton one night. Brian's doing refereeing stuff. Uh, you're doing behind the scenes stuff because that's that's how you like you know you learn how to be in a ring and kind of be in front of people and get used to it. What what's the feeling that goes through you when you get told that night in Littleton you're having your first match tonight? Cause you didn't find out until you got there, right? So we were driving to Littleton and just. Shooting the shit like normal. Like a three-hour drive, by the way. Yeah, it was some really nice foliage on the drive Jesus up. Christ! <laughs> it was in October, you so and, you and foliage. So New Hampshire foliage is the way to be, and you were ten times madder <sighs> then than you are right now. Because I mentioned it like four or five times, and as soon as we walked in the Little Opera House, Jeff comes walking up to us and he goes, "Hey, uh, how about that foliage in the drive up?" <laughs> And you just threw your back down, turned around, and walked out. It was. I don't remember that. It was so awesome. Um, Son of a bitch. And then you know they said that you know they wanted to throw me in the ring to, that, that night for my first match rather than referee. I had all my referee stuff, and so I was very unprepared, I guess, or not like expecting it. And I guess it's better they told me then rather than me 
worrying about it the whole ride up or whatever, something along the lines. I'd probably freak out. I didn't have enough time to freak out. I just had to try to find something to wear. So I, you know, used your. You had to wear my gear. Your Starman stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Minus the mask that you mysteriously lost. I lost the mask. Now it's really lost. In quotation quotation marks, lost. I came back from New York and somehow I lost the mask. It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where the hood is, Jeff. Yeah, he had to get that shagadelic Justin Powers gimmick going. (laughs) So he had to lose the Starman mask. Yeah, right. Um, and so, yeah, we were just put together, and I, I was told I was going to be wrestling you for my first match ever, so I couldn't have been more happy. Uh, you dared me to use Disturbed as my theme music because that was that was deemed the wrestling song because it <laughs> came on every time we drove to class. That, oh, that, that's that, right. that first Disturbed single, whatever it was, <laughs> Stupefied, I think it was. <laughs> so that was my theme music. And then... Um, Actually, somebody that you know we both knew was there in the audience because her family was from up there. Uh, Amy Shays. Yeah, she was up there. So it was neat to have somebody that I knew at my first match ever. Um, we wrestled about, I don't know, six to eight minutes, maybe. Probably like ten. I think we were supposed to go like five. and we ended Something up going- like, yeah, okay. And it wasn't like... It wasn't good by any means, but it wasn't bad. It for, wasn't like the I, shit. I've never seen it. I've never actually seen a tape of it, but I remember uh, for somebody's first match, I think it was pretty good. Yeah, it was fast, like some fast stuff. And then um, I remember you being really scared for the first two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, was, you, like you were going 100 miles an hour, and you came over and you tried to, uh, in wrestling parlance, if you're not a, a pro wrestler. Uh, or if you haven't been, you always grab somebody by their left arm. If you grab somebody by their right arm, you get punched in the face and get told, that's Lucha. So I think you came over and tried to throw me by my right arm, and I gave you, I popped you in the forearm and went, slow down. Yes. It's yep. okay. Definitely. And then I think we were on the, the, the right page from there. Yeah. Uh, and then we went long, and you got yelled at for four times the amount of the match afterwards <laughs> in the locker room. By Rip. Have you told the story about that show ever? I don't. I, I know you've been on a, you're a podcast whore. I, I don't think I've ever told the story about that tell, tell show. Like a four minute version of that. What, that that's what kind a, of an infamous show. What a crazy show to have my first match ever on. So, what else is going on? Like, so Jeff is doing commentary. This is uh, real quick. Jeff Costa was a. Uh, He's a, he's kind of a legendary guy. He worked as Bruiser Costa, worked as a Lobster Man. He was the youngest Canadian champion, I think, in history. Uh, he trained me along with a couple other guys. Uh, he was alternately a brilliant wrestling mind, and he could also be infuriating. He had the idea to do like what we would call shoot commentary during an independent wrestling show in front of fans in Littleton, New Hampshire, who thought every single part of it was real yes. until he kind of... Shoot commentator over the thing, but, but, I don't, but I don't think he told the boys it was going to be shoot commentary prior. <laughs> no, he no, just he just said, said he's going to commentate. Yeah, over I'm going to do commentary over the loudspeaker so that fans in attendance can hear commentary. It'll be like a TV show, right? Which is doesn't make any sense if you think about it, because like how are like. Oh, he's got a chair. He's going to attack you from behind. And oh, look out. And then like, I'm supposed to act like, you know, like. That, that's not happening. That's not happening. I don't hear it, even though it's over the loudspeaker and stuff. <laughs> so, like, in the middle of, like, the show, he just starts doing, like, the shoot stuff. Like, um, Amato, who's one of the trainers here, and, and my buddy was uh, played a vampire, Morbius and stuff. And he's like, ah, I'm going to level with you guys. He's not really a vampire. <laughs> he's from Peabody, Massachusetts. <laughs> Vanity Vixen's his girlfriend. <laughs> and, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. they just, like, made some matches stop and take a picture for somebody in the front row in yeah. the middle of the stuff. Like, it was just insane. And I, 
again, this is my first match ever, like maybe the third or fourth show I'd ever been right. to for Jeff. So I don't know that it's ridiculously out of the ordinary but or anything. But you can sense people getting pissed off about it, though. Yeah, there was a there was <laughs> a couple breakdowns backstage. I remember somebody like crying how angry they were at Jeff and stuff. And really? Big, big talks. Yeah, I'm 99% sure that was that was Matt Slash. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember like, that. Angry, 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 and stuff. And so, it was just—it was one of the strangest, strangest shows that I've ever been a part of. Still to this day, my first wrestling show ever. So weird. So yeah. So the reason I got yelled at was because Jeff, uh, the Lobster Man, was trying to tell us to go home to finish the match. And I was Chicago kid. This would be a great <laughs> match anywhere, especially in Chicago. Chicago. I'd have a if I had a tie, I'd pull on it. I was so worried about like. <laughs> Johnny Vegas is in here cracking up with us. I was so worried about the match being good, and I wanted it to be good for you because you've been one of my best friends since high school. And I was, it was kind of like a big responsibility for me. Like, hey, you know, it's his first match. Get out there. And I was still young in the business, so I was worried about so many different things. I wasn't even paying attention to what he was saying. So right. I, didn't, I never heard him. Probably for the better. But right. <laughs> Until we get backstage, and I got chewed out for literally 45 minutes. Yeah, it was. it was fun. You were on that little staircase there, and I didn't hear any of it. I just walked past it like twice. So yeah. like, uh, I got to hear about it all on the whole ride home, but yeah, it was <laughs> car talk. That was car talk. Good, good times. Good times. So uh, anyway, uh, that, that part of your career lasts for a little while. Uh, I think you've talked in length about uh, the effect Steve Bradley's had on you. Yes. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to – I won't ask you to deep dive into that, but just uh, for people that don't know Steve Bradley, just kind of talk a little bit about the effect he had on you as a as a professional. Boy, Steve – Steve really taught me um, what professional wrestling could be. Uh, those first couple years of my career there – and you know, and you you thought you, you you thought you knew, and you learn the basics, and 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 you're doing matches and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden Steve comes along and really opens your eyes and kind of like opens the curtain, I guess you could say, as to like the rest of the pro wrestling world and how it could be. Um, it was such a eye opening experience. Those first like that first year with him was such a, like a night and day experience from what I was used to prior. Yeah. And he was a real, I mean, he was a real complicated kind of guy. He was, I thought he was one of the more, you know, I think Jeff Costa was brilliant in his own way. I thought Steve Bradley was brilliant in a completely different kind of way, but equally, you know, effective or even more so in your yeah, case. Yeah, no, yeah, so much so. And he was um, such a driven, driven person and whatever he envisioned, he worked his ass off to make it come true as far as like his promotion and, and the things that he did and stuff like that so it was such a night and day thing where Jeff's was kind of like tongue-in-cheek uh fun pro wrestling like carny style yeah uh Steve's was like WWE ECW just on a smaller level real professional wrestling with a gimmick or two that was kind of carny or goofy right a lot of very serious stuff different angles and really getting the crowd riled up in many different ways and it was just and presented in a very professional way oh 100 percent. like when him bringing in people like kevin kelly and sheldon goldberg to be figureheads rather than just people at shows it was looked at 
as a much more professional, different-looking type yeah. of product uh, that, from anything in the area at that point in time. So really quickly, if you don't know who Steve Bradley is, uh, Steve Bradley is from the, uh, New Hampshire. He's a Manchester guy. Broke into the wrestling business really young. Uh, got a developmental contract. Had some bad luck. He was supposed to debut a couple of different times uh, in the WWF slash WWE. Never quite happened. Got an injury. Got released. Ended up back home. Started his own promotion. Started training guys. Um and he was just yeah he was he was our age but he seems so much older right i mean he was so much more world traveled than us and, and just experienced and stuff so yeah he was only like one or two years older than us but it was just like he's it felt like it's the guy trained kurt angle yeah you know what I mean? yeah he was down there with kurt angle you know spent like a year and a half in puerto rico working for like savio vega and stuff and just so many different things um and then for him to come home and be able to spread all that knowledge and stuff that he right. learned over the years from like Dr. Tom Pritchard and like Jim Cornette and whoever else that he was like under like was, was amazing. Have you ever talked about that first WFA show? I have, of, I have not really, no. Because I don't think people realize that was, I mean, not just for the, the fans, but also in Littleton, by the way. A lot of history in Littleton. <laughs> A lot of history in that building, <laughs> Also yes. at the Littleton Opera House. It wasn't just an event for people that went to it. There, I've never heard of a show like this happening. Maybe it happens now with Beyond Wrestling. I'm not as much into the business now as I once was. People from promotions all over New England made that drive to the top of New Hampshire, even if you weren't booked on it as a wrestler, just to see what the fuck Steve was doing. It was. It really felt like like WrestleMania for the Indies. Didn't yeah, it? We, it felt like such a big deal and something huge to be a part of. And even still, I don't think we understood the full concept of his vision until. Like midway through the show, we were able to see like how things were putting on, and just even the lighting of it and the setup. He was the first, you know, company to have like a screen, right? And you know, all the different ideas and angles and stuff that he was putting forth. Like it was, it was so it was way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. Like I still remember, and this had never happened. Still, never has happened. Like before, he put the promotion together. He talked with Alex, like his right hand man. And, put together like a roster and he had everybody come, go to his school yep. so everybody in the roster went to his school and he had like a meeting talking about his vision for the promotion and blah 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 blah. like that's insane to think about in this day and age because yeah. nowadays no, nobody like, yeah fuck you I ain't going to your school to just talk about something like yeah. pay me or whatever you know what I mean like but he had enough gravitas where people would do it and he was I mean he yeah he had his demons later on certainly but he I mean th- those those first couple of years of uh, it was called the Wrestling Federation of America the WFA were really I think some of the best stuff, uh, some of the best independent wrestling that's ever been in New England. Oh, 100%. I wish more footage of that place existed just because, like, the the way he was able to work up such a loyal, rabid fan base in every single one of his towns. He was running, like, five or six times a month. He would do a circuit. Yeah. Like an old school circuit. Yeah. Between Dover, New Hampshire, to Lawrence, Mass, to Littleton, New Hampshire, to Laconia, New Hampshire, like, Derry, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. He's running all these different places, and he's kind of running similar angles or the similar shows in each town, like a house show circuit, because nobody was traveling, and the internet was just kind of in its... I I don't want to say in its infancy, but people weren't, like... Posting like right. stuff like YouTube crazy. Yet. Yeah, and there wasn't Twitter yet. I mean, there was message boards, so you you post results. So if you really paid attention, you had to be a really super fucking hardcore wrestling nerd to know that you know to know that like for instance, you and I would re- do the circuit, and the, the finish every night was uh, it looks like um, I went over or something like that. It looks like I beat you. Then the referee realized I fucked you over, so you would, you would roll me up and beat me. We did the yeah. same finish at, at every town. And we did the same beginning for every town. Roll that footage right. and play that video of you being mean to yeah. Josh and stuff. Like, 
but every town had that same reaction to it. Like they popped and yeah. stuff or, or laughed or whatever that we wanted them to do because they hadn't seen it before, even though we... Right. It was new to them. Yeah. We, it was a rerun for us. We'd done it like four or five times <laughs> at this point in time. But like, how weird was it that we did this like a year later... I think it was like in like that Chinese food restaurant down in Western Massachusetts. Do you remember we wrestled the Hooky Lao? Yes, the Hooky Lao. Yes, we wrestled inside of a Chinese rest, Chinese food restaurant. And Steve brought out that it was like one of those initial show gimmicks that right. he liked to do it first time in every town and it was like introducing the character. It was so weird to like kind of go back in time yeah. for like a year later like, oh, to do it hits. there. Yeah. Oh no problem. We've done this match ten million times. We don't have to call it. There were times we wrestled and didn't call anything beforehand just because. Yeah, just cause, yeah. Brian and I wrestled each other. I, I mean, I, I tell people ten thousand times. It was probably. Close to five hundred times we we actually wrestled was, in a ring. Yes, it was. It, <laughs> An absurd amount of times to wrestle somebody, but yeah, I mean, we had good chemistry and stuff. Like we knew how to work with each other. It was it was awesome. So uh, eventually, Steve kind of loses his way. WFA starts stops running shows. What was I remember how I felt when I got the call from Alex Arion that I can't remember if it was actually you or Alex. I just remember one of you called me, but when Steve Bradley uh, passed away. I, I know how I felt. I can't imagine how you felt. You were much closer to him than I was. What went through you when you f- heard that news? I uh, I was at work. I was working at a Planet Fitness and stuff, and I was the only employee there, and I got the phone call. I missed a call, and then I had a voicemail, and then I called him back, and then he told me, and I was like, it was definitely shock, and I was kind of stunned, but it didn't, it didn't hit me, and I didn't cry, and I wasn't upset until I had to tell other people somebody else yeah yeah and i i had to make a couple phone calls that day because al was only calling the people that he was super close with and he knew that uh word would spread somewhat fast so the people that were telling so i remember i called uh i think i called my buddy ray i called tarzan i called marcus and that those were some of the hardest phone calls i've ever had to make like i just definitely broke down um because steve and i had grown very close over the years. I, I uh, had kind of become like his right-hand man at WFA, and I was, um, I would talk to him. There wasn't a day I didn't talk to him on the phone, and then, you know, when things kind of fell apart for him, there was like a year where we didn't really talk, and then I came back around randomly, and we talked again for a little bit, and then just lost touch. So it was, um, I'd never had somebody other than like a, a, a grandparent or something that close to me really pass away, and it was, it was, somebody that I looked up to and that was a mentor and it was very difficult um, to kind of, I guess, process it all and take it all in. It was very weird. Yeah. Um, and I remember we had a show not a couple of days later and that they did like a 10 bell salute and stuff and I think I was on one of the first two matches and like another like little breakdown like backstage and stuff. Like it was, it was, it was hard. It was, it was very um, surreal, I guess you could say, for just all of a sudden a guy that was a couple years older than me to just be gone. Like we had had a friend, you and I had a friend, Jason Peterson, that died, you know, tragically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we hadn't had somebody kind of taken in that type of way. And like I said, you, you, you probably affected you more than me, even though I, I was friendly with Steve. I wasn't like close with him. Right. We were, we were we were we were good on good terms, but not tight. But just the way uh, you know. And now, you know Steve died of a heroin overdose. Yes. So, I mean, the way, you know, we didn't really know at first how it happened. We could, we could kind of guess. 
Right, yeah. We knew he had issues it, with different things, but yeah. And just the, the the range of emotions that went through me were, you know, it was it was kind of a roller coaster. So, I mean, just be I, I, I remember his funeral or his service was the night of that really uh, terrible ice storm yeah. that happened in this region that knocked yeah. out power for people for weeks. Yeah, and then pushing back like his service a day or something like that because there was like the wake and then like a service the next day. Right, right, right. Pushed right, yeah. it back like a day. This is 2008, I think. But I mean, what you? I mean, you still see people eight years later today that this is clearly affected. I mean, Brandon Locke when he goes to the ring, his whole ring entrance is Steve Bradley's ring entrance. <laughs> yep, yeah, he was like Steve's guy. Like he yeah. like started when he was like sixteen, seventeen years old with him, and Steve really like that was his boy. Like molded him to become what he is, and so he owes like Brandon owes everything to Steve. You right. Know? I mean, I owe I owe most to Steve as far as how I came. So it's different for me. But yeah, I, I can't. I can't, he was like a father figure to him. Like, right. And I see a lot of different people. You know that became close with him on a regular basis. So it's you know it's one of those things where we can all, all talk about him or, or bring up memories and stuff. You know, if we're in that type of mood. So yep. yeah, yeah. I think my favorite Steve Bradley story is. Uh, uh, we were in Littleton, of course. All all the best stories happen in Littleton. So Steve <laughs> Steve has a big meeting with us. You remember this? I I once you get going with it, okay. I, I might. So Steve has a big meeting with us. He's like, guys, he's like, listen, he's like, we got to be professional. He's like, we can't go out there and just swear and yell and scream and be nasty to people, right? It's like we have to, you know, heels get heat, you know, by being a heel. Don't go go out there and scream at people. So Steve, because it was a TV taping or something, goes out there like second or third. And do you remember what he said the second he walks out there? <laughs> he goes, "Fuck you, little dude!" The big double, double middle fingers. <laughs> Was that the same speech where he said he fucking knocked the old man on the mountain off, off, or something like that? Like something along those lines. This was like a ten-minute talk he gave. It was like, guys, we can't do stuff like this. And then. Fuck you! <laughs> I remember he got mad and yelled at Tanya Lee one time because she swore on a show, and not because she swore on the show, because you can't fucking swear on a show. That's my gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> You're the promoter, I guess. That's your gimmick. Well, all right, Steve, no problem. So you, duly noted. <laughs> so you became one of the uh, one of the one of the top guys in New England uh, after after this through the uh, the late 2000s and uh, the the 2010s. You somehow, somehow. <laughs> beats me. It beats me too. I think it's just the longer you stay around, like people just like, oh, this guy must be all right. <laughs> He's been around 12 years. <laughs> this will book him. Uh, you worked with uh, just a ton of different people uh, inside the ring. You became uh, the uh, the proprietor the proprietor of the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, which is the direct lineage of Killer Kowalski's wrestling school. It's, it's still on the door downstairs. Still on yeah. the door downstairs. Do you ever stop and look back and go, Jesus Christ, how the hell did all this happen? <laughs> uh, there are times um, where I'm really like, because I sometimes have to come here on my off days to do fun office stuff and random things and stuff here and, and clean or whatever. And yeah, grown like, up shit? Yeah, woo, I'm an adult. <laughs> uh, kind of. Um, and I, I kind of like just take, because I'm here just by myself, it's like, I look around and I'm like, this this is really weird. Like, <laughs> this is all mine. I own two professional wrestling rings. Like you said earlier, I have an office. Yeah. Like, I have a desk. I have all this stuff. Right now, I have, like, 25 students that are currently training underneath me. Um, I have a great lineage of students that have, have, have gone on to, to big things. And it's like, 
I can't believe or or fathom that like I've come this far or, or done what, this much. What nobody tells you about adulthood is when you get to adulthood, you still feel like you're that 16 year old kid. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm in still, your mind's eye. Yeah, yeah. And my my, I've nothing has changed for me since I started training with you way back in the day. And we always said, oh, when when this stops being like the most fun thing ever is when I'll stop doing it. For right. some reason, <clears throat> it's still the most fun thing ever, and I and I love every second of it. And it's just, it's weird. I feel like. I blinked my eyes and all of a sudden it's all these years later. Like it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So let's, let's toot your horn a little bit. You've, you, uh, are the trainer of, uh, the current WWE women's champion, Sasha Banks, Sasha Banks, uh, the best women's wrestler in the world. Yes. I, I, she came through here. I trained her, uh, very, what was was she like when she first got here? She was shy. She was quiet, very well-respected, well-mannered person, but she honestly, I could see from day one that she really wanted to be a successful professional wrestler. She, most females when they come in here, you ask them what their favorite wrestler is, they'll say like Trish Stratus or something like yeah. that. She was like Eddie Guerrero, like like loved wrestling. Watched wrestling. Yeah. She was very hard on herself. Worked just as hard as, or if not harder than anybody else here. Like. I'd like to be able to say, like, I knew she was going to be able to go on and do what she's doing now, but I wouldn't have never, like, assumed that th- in a million years, you know? Right. I feel like with somebody like that, because you can tell she has a lot of natural talent, but I feel like as a trainer, and I, was, and I wasn't around while you were training or anything, I feel like as a trainer, you could have done a lot to fuck that up, and you <laughs> yeah. didn't. Yeah. So that's a credit to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I remember having many a conversation with her after shows if she was upset about her match or things didn't go her way or she had, you know, she was always very judging herself very harshly. Like everybody's their own worst critic. Sure. Not and, me. I always thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. this fucking water, would you? Jesus. I have my iced tea, but yeah, yeah I'll have some water. Use Hold it. on. So, mm. so, mmm. That's podcasty Thank goodness. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, she was always wanting to get better and, and, and move forward and stuff. And um, to see what she's become, like, I could see some of, once you got to know her personally, you could see some of her, like, I guess the boss character Charisma, in, in, yeah. in her once you knew her. But it didn't, It you know, it was obviously it wasn't until she was down there when she really discovered it and tapped into it and started killing it. And it's not like she's like a six foot you know, bodybuilder. So she really had to probably work harder than most to, because she's little. She is tiny, very <laughs> tiny. She's, she's so uh, small. And I actually, I didn't think that was going to be a detriment to her. I thought that her size and I guess look being very similar to AJ Lee at the time would be, ah, yeah. would be the biggest detriment to her because they already had somebody like that. Right. Um, but you know, she busted her ass and got her opportunity and when, you know, and she took it and ran with it, like been killing it ever since. Right. And uh, Donovan Dijak, he's one of your uh, one of your babies, right? Yes, my good <laughs> pal Donovan Dijak, who is currently in uh, Ring of Honor, a top prospect from a couple of years ago and stuff. Uh, he um, he was one of those guys that was obviously a natural athlete, played a bunch of different sports in school, yep. uh, basketball at uh, Bridgewater State, um, kind of went in and out of his love for professional wrestling and then he was on a very high note of loving it and came here and uh that was actually right around the time that I broke my ankle when he first started okay so he kind of had a couple of people helping him out outside of me when he very first started but then once I was back to training and stuff he was already advanced from the beginner's ring to the advanced ring 
picking things up very quickly, and I was able to help him with the psychology part of the business, which he has a, a very good mind for now. Uh, almost, he almost overanalyzes some things, which is it isn't bad, but yep. it, it takes fucking forever to call a match with him because of that sometimes <laughs> books wrestlemania <laughs> um but you know he's uh, that, that guy has such an amazing future i mean he, he's got the physique you know yeah. and, and and the look of somebody that i don't see why wwe especially in this climate of professional wrestling right now that they shouldn't pick him up and and, and run with him at any point in time Right on. Uh, you've uh, are announced that this is your last well, last couple of months here as a in-ring competitor. Yes. I feel like you were kind of you had some shitty luck and were on the cusp of doing some big things. And you mentioned breaking your ankle. I also think just the timing of like right now. I think if you and I broke in the business three years ago, not that I'm saying either one of us would have been the WWE champ or anything. I think the way attitudes are about size. And uh, add, you know, and uh, charisma. I think guys like you and I would have had a better shot of doing some shit where you'd see us on TV on a regular basis. Do you? Do you look back and get bitter about that at all? No, I, I don't get bitter because I still, I still um, was able to do so much, um, way more than I ever thought I was. I was going to be able to do in professional wrestling, you know. So, and I've had so many opportunities and, and, and made so many friends that are high up in, in professional wrestling now that, that know who I am and know of me. So it's not like I just went unknown for all these years and, and couldn't have done anything. I, I like to say if I was, if I came into the business five years earlier or five years later, I would have had a job at, at, at one point or the other. Cause it, earlier it was like the huge wrestling boom. There was right. three giant promotions and ring of honor was starting and blah, 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 blah. I could have easily gotten a job at that period of time or nowadays. Um, I could get a job doing a lot of different things. I I think I I think I have confidence in my ability where I'd be able to get a job doing something like that. But it's just it's good to be for me to be able to have this school. Maybe that helps me be less bitter. I, I don't know to be to be completely <laughs> honest with you. But like I'm not like upset about things that I did or didn't do in my career because I've I've wrestled on SmackDown, a job match, whatever. But I've yeah. done segments on Raw. I've done done segments on here and there. I was in the Super Eight years ago, like yep. when, when it was still it was like a big. Still good thing. to be in the Super Eight. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I was I was on Ring of Honor TV for an extended period of time. Like I've done many things, so it's not like I look at this as like a failure, like in any right. way, shape, or form. I'm not I'm not a bitter guy and stuff like that. And see, I, see, for me, I didn't do any of those things, and I'm still satisfied with the wrestling career I had. I think I got just about as much out of me as I could have as a pro wrestler. I think if I got as close as you did to kind of like making the next step, I would have been pissed off about it. But I, I, I think your attitude's really commendable, which is <laughs> thank you. Which is weird, having known you these all these years, that you'd have a good attitude about something. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you know I had the right people around me to realize like getting bitter wouldn't do me any good. I look at Steve. And saw how close he was. Oh, yeah. And he was somewhat bitter about certain things and certain aspects of what didn't didn't happen to him. Yep. But it didn't, that wasn't like the reason for his demons. I look at a guy like Alex Arion, who I'm very close friends with, who, you know, did a lot of things back in the day, too. And he was never bitter, just enjoyed it and stuff, too. And I think yep. those two guys are guys that I look up to enough to be able to, like, well, these guys are fine and, and, and cool with stuff like, sure, yeah, I, I am too, 100%. All right, before I let you get out of here, because Johnny V's going to slit my throat, I've kept you for a long period of time. Um, where do you... What's the way I want to phrase this question? Where do you... Well, if you're a kid breaking into wrestling right now, 
And obviously, you have the the, the ability to mold the future. But I, 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 you know, I see you at some of these shows sometimes, and uh, I hear you talking about guys that are working and maybe doing things the wrong way. What what are what's some of this stuff you should avoid if you're breaking into pro wrestling? Uh, in just the general sense, or? it was way too vague of a question. <laughs> but uh, very vague. I mean, I could answer that ten billion ways. I know, that would be like an hour long. Uh, how do I want to ask this? What what sort of things should you be? Okay, this is a better way to put it. What sort of things should you be doing to improve yourself, other than the obvious, get in good shape, eat the right way, blah blah blah? What are what are things to do? Like, let's say I'm Johnny Two Balls, and I'm going and I'm working a show. What should I be, what should I be doing at that show to make myself better? Uh, the biggest thing, in my opinion, is to seek out. Um, some veterans on the show and ask if they are able to watch your match and give you some feedback and then when they do give you feedback actually listen or care <laughs> and maybe apply it to things that is that you're going to do um, look at where you're training and look at the products that that school puts out and think hey maybe even though this is 10 minutes from my house it would benefit me to drive the 45 minutes over to this place who's putting out a much better product and stuff like that. Yep. Um, be able to accept criticism, especially with the way that I teach. Uh, I don't, I rarely say what you do right. Right. I just tell you what you do wrong. Uh, and a lot of people, some, I don't, I don't want to say a lot of people. Some people don't like that because they just like to have you know their fucking yeah. dick sucked or whatever like oh but what about this I do <laughs> well, this who doesn't like blah, blah, blah. that <laughs> true <laughs> <laughs> um, but some people don't like to hear what they did wrong and stuff they don't actually want to get better um, you and I would I don't think either one of us were ever ones to be like oh how you see how awesome our match was blah 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 blah, blah. We would like to hear some of that from other people, but we would also like, we had the benefit of like uh, like a Maverick or, or people on other shows that we could ask and they could tell us, right. well, this was the shits, this was good, and, and, and go on from there, like early on. And then from there, obviously, it was like Steve and Alex and yep. other people throughout the years. Still to this day, I, I, I there's like, I know who I can ask and give me honest yep. opinions on what they thought of stuff. And for people that are like a year or two in that aren't asking people, it, it's... It befuddles me. Like, why wouldn't you <laughs> yeah. ask? You have all these resources. Why would I think it kind of extends through the rest of life. Don't don't listen to the people that are washing your balls all the time. Because you're just going to stay in one place doing things like that, yeah, that no matter what your industry is. Exactly. That's not going to get you any further or, or, or any more knowledge. They're just, you know, always seek out somebody that's been there, done that, or, or done more than you, and ask any opinions whatsoever, and actually apply these things. Don't just... Do it for lip service or ear service. All right, let's let's plug all the things you have going on here before I ask you one last question. So, uh, how do people people want to train to be a wrestler? How do they get to your school? Where can they go on the internet? How do they get a hold of you? How can they write you a fucking check so you can buy some better clothes for God's sake? The New England <laughs> Pro Wrestling Academy, located in North Andover, Massachusetts. We are on the interweb. On the interwebs. NEProWrestling.com. That's our Twitter handle. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. We're there. Uh, You can shoot us an email right from the Facebook page or on the website. It it just brings you right to the email gimmick there. there. um, Plug the student show next week. We have a free Facebook Live student show 
Next Thursday night, 27th, right? Is that the date? Sure, why not? Yes, it is the 27th. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's it's going to be exclusively students trained here. Um, Sasha so, Banks is going to wrestle? She, right. she she will not be here. That's bullshit. I, I think she has some prior commitments uh, <sighs> getting ready for Hell in the Cell uh, that is in Boston, Massachusetts. What a tune-up it would be to be on the student <laughs> show before Hell in a Cell. Yes. Um... <laughs> So uh, it's a cool way for me to promote the school, promote the talents and stuff that I've been able to train and come through here, and for the talents to be able to be seen by some local promoters that aren't necessarily out there working on shows yet. Right. So it, it's, it works in a bunch of different ways and stuff. So please, if you can, check that out. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be pretty awesome. I believe your boy Justin over here is going to try and uh, do commentary on yes, that. Yes. That, that we had spoke about that, so we're going to have to get your ass down here to... Uh, try and hook up the gimmick. Do some... Uh, <laughs> Do some uh, color or some play-by-play. All right. There was way too much positivity in this podcast, so let me uh, let me end with this. What was your worst wrestling match in your career before we let the you go? The worst wrestling match that I remember Name Shit on people. Was, Let's go. It was a tag team match. It was myself and my partner, uh, Chris Venom. Adrenaline. Adrenaline uh, versus... Uh, Pride, Dan Freitas and Brian Nunes for NRG Wrestling. And that was actually, what's weird is like, uh, Michael Crockett was the referee for that match. Was he? Who, who I've become good friends with years later, but it wasn't until years later that we realized he was the referee. And um, this match just fucking sucked on all levels. Whose fault was it? Everybody's? <sighs> Don't say everybody's. I want somebody to be shit on here. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when it fell apart was like really was during the heat and I'm on the apron and they're supposed to do like a false tag gimmick where like they're like Venom's trying to fight to get to me and the other guy like stops the referee from seeing him make the tag and stuff and like he gets like right to me like twice and like I'm trying not to like right. not to tag and the ref's kind of there and like it falls <laughs> apart and then finally like I make the tag and blow like this terrible hot tag because like everybody was out of place and we, we, whatever we had called kind of fell off the rails and like I was the legal guy and they tried to throw me out of the ring so they were going to pin Venom and I'm like I'm the legal man and they tried to throw me over the top rope and I made myself hit the top rope and I bumped in the ring and they didn't <laughs> listen to me and they tried to throw me again and I'm like I'm the legal man as they throw me out again and I did the same thing and it was just <laughs> it was so tape for this? It, I, I, I want to go it might it. be something somewhere I do remember I pulled I pulled the Steve Bradley after this match where I took their finish, got pinned, <laughs> and after they got pinned, I rolled out of the ring, did fucking jumping jacks on the outside of the ring. Uh, I'm okay. Fuck this. And I fucking just left and went to the locker room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pro wrestling. It's the toughest job you'll ever love. Well, uh, Brian Fury, thank you for being on the uh, the podcast, and uh, best of luck with uh, the school and the uh, Facebook Live show. And uh uh, hopefully some uh, fun stuff is coming up now in 2017 for you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the Justin McIsaac podcast with Justin McIsaac. Yes. I uh, had a blast. I, as well you should. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Brian Fury, longtime friend of mine, uh, trainer at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, uh, the owner of the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. If you want to get into the business, if you like wrestling, if you want to be a wrestler, if you want to be a referee, if you just want to know more about wrestling, yeah, Brian's got to get a hold of. Great mind for uh, 
the wrestling game. So uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, his uh, student show, as he said, it will be on Facebook Live on Thursday the 27th. I will be doing announcing for that if we can get everything to work out. It's kind of an experiment, so we'll see. But uh, as always, uh, subscribe on iTunes, please. It helps us out. Uh, leave a rating. Uh, that helps more people see the podcast, more people see it more people listen better chance i have of tricking someone into paying me money to do this podcast so help a brother out would you uh thanks for listening and we'll see you next week thanks for listening as i said i'll say it one more time thanks for listening